0: The Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab, episode 815 for Monday, May 18th, 2020. <laughs> to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We take your questions. We try to answer them. We share your tips. We share your cool stuff found. We share some cool stuff found of our own. The goal is for each and every single one of us to learn at least five new things every time we get together, which is generally once a week. Sponsors for this episode include Devon Think from devintechnologies.com slash MGG, Mint Mobile from mintmobile.com slash MGG, and a new one, but not new to the show because I think we've mentioned it before uh, when I started using it back in December, snowflakeweather.app. So we will talk more about all of those here shortly. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here
1: in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F.
0: Braun. How are you doing today, Mr. John F. Braun? <clears throat> good.
1: Got my coffee. That's good. Water. Coffee, water.
0: All right. Well, that's, uh, that's how we do it. You know what I got on this end is, uh, well, I mean, I have my tea, as I always do. I think today is the uh, tension tamer from, from Celestial Seasonings. A little bit of ginseng to add some sparkle to the morning. And, uh, and I have quick tips, John. Lots of them. So let's do Mike, shall we? Sure. Cool. Uh, Mike says, I started using a second monitor about a year ago when invoking uh, command tab. He said alt tab, but I think he meant command tab. Uh, he says, sometimes the running program icons would show up on monitor two, and sometimes they would show up on monitor one. I could never figure out how to change it. And Google searches mostly pointed to multiple workspaces and not multiple monitors. It turns out that doc... Is the key, and I didn't realize there's only ever a single dock, even though there's multiple menu bars. The dock can move back and forth between the two monitors. Command tab is tied to the dock, so if the dock is on monitor one, that's where those icons show up, and vice versa. Yeah, this is a good one. I, you know, I, um, I never move my dock. So when I hit Command Tab, the the app switcher icons are always on my main screen and not, you know, over on my alternate screen, which for me is to my right. Uh, in both locations, it seems I've never put one to the left. I need to think about that too. Uh, but I also have not adapted to the the new, and it's not that new anymore. Uh, by default, macOS sets displays to have separate spaces, which. In a very visual way means that each display has its own menu bar. Uh, I don't do that. I use the old school way, which is that there's only one space and the only one display has a menu bar, and the others you know just just are displays. Uh, and I like it that way i I've tried it the other way. I don't like having to drive around the computer for menu bars. I like knowing it's always in in the same place. So perhaps that's why I haven't experienced the dock jumping around. Uh, to perhaps maybe the the spaces thing uh, affects that do you you do use multiple monitors right john how do you have you ever experienced this and do you use the, the separate spaces thing
1: uh no no i keep all the all the bars on one screen
0: okay so you have that box in in system preferences mission control the displays have separate spaces boxes unchecked for you as
1: well is that right Mission control, automatically rearrange, group display. Yeah, that's off. That's off. Okay. Okay. So the default,
0: I'm pretty sure the default is still that that's on, but, uh, but there we go. So cool. Good quick tip, Mike, and uh, even nice having a little discussion about it too. All right. Uh, moving on to Jeff. Jeff says it's pretty easy to delete most annotation types in the preview app when you're annotating. Uh, A PDF simply select the shape text box or squiggle that you've added uh, and when you see the blue dot resize handles simply hit the delete key and poof it's gone deleting text highlighting underscores and strikeouts can be hit or miss but I found it well nigh impossible to delete notes the small text containers that expand when you click on them until I stumbled upon the solution in previews menu bar select tools show inspector In the Inspector window, navigate to the rightmost tab named Annotations. This will display a list of all markup in the document, including notes. Click to select a note or other annotation type and hit the delete key to remove it. Very cool. So yeah, tools show Inspector and then drive over to the Annotations tab. I'm not sure I've ever dug into Previews Inspector in that way. I've always looked at it for like information about an image, But I never quite realized it had that kind of uh, functionality, too. Nice. Pretty good, right? All right. Uh, We will move along to the next quick tip um, from a different Jeff. And this one is very timely. Jeff says, I was swapping my iMacs hard drive with an SSD or to an SSD by using a clone from Carbon Copy Cloner. After the swap, I noticed Spotlight wasn't really working all that well. Well, same, Jeff. I have noticed Spotlight not working well on both of my machines ever since I did the Rickashista swappy favor thing last week, where I bounced the one up and one down, and and now I, yeah. Uh, he says, I'm guessing since it was a clone by default, it was being prevented to be indexed. So if you do a clone swap to a hard drive, make sure you remove that drive from being prevented in Spotlight. Go into System Preferences, go to Spotlight, go to the Privacy tab, and when you see your boot drive there, highlight it and remove it. That's pretty good advice, Jeff, and I took that, and now Spotlight is working better. Actually, I had done that on one machine. Spotlight was still being weird, so I did the whole uh, sudo, uh, space, mdutil, space, dash, E, space, slash, or dash, capital E. Uh, We'll put that in the show notes so you don't have to try and uh, translate it or look at Facebook's auto captions. I would love to see what Facebook's auto captions do mm-hmm. to that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, the, the forcing it to rebuild the spotlight index can also be helpful. Um, yeah. I had a thing, John, on the, on the iMac in the office, it was the, it, an app would not, you know, I, I launch apps with spotlight. I hit command Spacebar and start typing the name of the app and it, mm. and it launches and they would not launch until I had launched each individual app once by going into like applications with the mouse and the finder and launch it. Once I had launched the app, then it was in the spotlight index. That was a little maddening. So, so anyway, I, I rebuilt the index. There you go. Any, uh, any thoughts to, to add on any of that, my friend?
1: Um, yeah, I may as well mention it now. Sure. I, I was doing something with a clone also. Okay. And, uh, here's something that I found. um, I don't know why I didn't find it sooner, but um, so I booted from a clone because I was testing something that we're going to talk about later. Okay. but um, And when I went back to my booting from my internal drive, um, I noticed something kind of weird that hasn't happened to me before. All of my cards were gone from my wallet because I had emails saying, oh, yeah, your, your card got pulled out of the wallet or, you know, un- unregistered with Apple Pay. And I'm like, what? And huh. yeah, I had to re-register all, all my, my cards. I haven't had that happen to me before.
0: Because you cloned back. Well, so there's two reasons you haven't had that happen before. Well, there's one. You have yet, this is the first time you've cloned back to a machine that has a T2 chip in it. Mm-hmm. Because without the T2 chip, you don't have, oh no. You would have cards... No, you wouldn't have cards stored in Apple Pay on your Mac before. They would be from your iPhone. You would have right. to authenticate using your iPhone. But with your sixteen inch mm-hmm. MacBook Pro, you don't have you don't have you don't need the iPhone, right? It can do it right from mm-hmm. there. Is that is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So T two. T two to the rescue
1: ish. Mm-hmm. It's kind yeah, of Yeah, I had to yeah. I had to reenter the CCV for all the cards and then mm-hmm. add them all back. And then it added them back. And if you
0: have mm-hmm. cards from Citibank, you'll get a letter. a printed letter in the mail that says you've added your device or you've added your card to yet another Apple pay device. I love.
1: When, oh yeah. I hate yeah, that. I've gotten letters every now and then. I know it's silly. I think it's silly. You know,
0: just mm-hmm. send me an email. It's fine. Save the stamp, save the paper. Um, mm-hmm. And did you have to also redo your fingerprints for the, for the touch ID no. sensor?
1: No. Nope. Really? Huh.
0: Mm-hmm. So wait, tell me again what you did.
1: Uh, I booted from a clone and booting from the clone, uh, pulled, oh. pulled all the cards out of, out of the wallet Interesting.
0: On my Mac. Huh. But the touch ID sensor still had like retained your,
1: mm-hmm. like, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh.
0: All right. Okay.
1: There you go. There you go. So if that's happened to anybody else, let let me let us know.
0: Yeah, let us know. How would they let us know, John?
1: <laughs> um, feedback at MacGeekab.com, Dave, I believe is one way. Do do you know of others? Well, yeah, I I
0: at least know of one more, and that's feedback at MacGeekab.com. Because that's
1: oh, okay. that's the right email address <clears throat> to use. Yeah, well I I I also like feedback at MacGeekab.com.
0: Well that's just you, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's see. Boot from clone. Okay. Uh, we'll go to Ben. Ben uh, points out, he says, troubleshooting an a I- uh, client's iCloud storage. We discovered that they had a backup of a previous iPhone still stored there that they could delete. In Catalina, he says, I haven't tested older versions. If you go into system preferences, Apple ID, iCloud, manage storage. Backups, the obvious way to delete a back, a selected backup is to click the minus button at the bottom. However, it's also possible to press command delete. Either approach pulls down a confirmation dialogue in the form of a window sheet, like most Mac OS Save dialogues, with delete and don't delete buttons. If you look closely though, it seems to be a non-standard sheet design. The sheet rolls down more smoothly than most with no clear acceleration. Also, the escape key has no effect for canceling the dialogue. Uh, You have to click the don't delete button in that case. That's pretty good. Yeah. Command delete. That's a, that's, that's one to remember uh, throughout. I feel like
1: that's, um, you know, that's, yeah, it's
0: good. Thoughts on, uh, thoughts on that, John?
1: Yeah. I like, I like using that in the finder to delete things.
0: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. It does work in the finder. Yeah, 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 I'm trying to think of where else I use it. Oh, I use it in, in, well, now the music app and formerly iTunes, uh, I would use command delete to, to move things around too. So yeah, I'm always worried in iTunes though, if I'm in a playlist, I, I, and I command delete, does that delete it from my library or just from the playlist? So I, I, I have yet to commit to my fingers what the answer to that question is. So, uh so I'm always careful, but, but yeah, command delete's good. All right. Uh, let's see. Going to Paul here in, on the iPhone in mail when parsing through mail, I just slide my finger over the selection area to select mul- multiple messages to delete or move rather than tap each one. He says, I think this is new in iOS 13. So the idea is on your iPhone, if you get if you hit the the if you get into select mode where you have the little radio buttons next to each uh, message or check boxes. Maybe I can't remember if they're radio buttons or check boxes, but whichever, uh, you can tap them as Paul notes, or you can just swipe your finger down and it will multi-select them, which is pretty cool. I had I had, that's the, that's the beauty of these quick tips, John is we always mm-hmm. learn stuff. Yeah. 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 I got a lot more quick tips on the list. I think we should just keep going with them. Okay. Let's go. All right. uh, We do have a quick tip follow up from last week. Actually, I think we've got two of them. Mike points out uh, we were talking about in Matthew's quick tip last week regarding dragging from the finder in the finder to the back button when you're when you're moving files around. Uh, He says you can also drag to any part of the finder's path bar, assuming that you have this showing up. Uh, if you don't, Option-Command-P will turn it on. This enables you to move one or many folders back up in the chain. That path bar, I, you know, I'm a geek, so that's why I feel like it should be on by default. I, I sort of understand why it's not, but I don't know. It's nice to see it at the bottom, and and as he points out, if, if you don't have it, um, you can do Command-Option-P to, well, Command-Option-P toggles it on or off, but the path bar will put a little... Uh, it puts breadcrumbs at the bottom of the well, not real breadcrumbs. You don't have to worry about sweeping them up. It it cleans them for you, but uh, it puts little breadcrumbs at the bottom of the the finder window, showing you you know where on the drive you are. I find that pretty helpful, especially if I've got folders like named accounting in both you know say my Mac Observer and Backbeat Media things, and it's like I'd like to be able to see which accounting folder am I in? Ah, that one. Great, perfect. That's where I wanted to be, or that's not where I wanted to be. Any thoughts on that one before we move on, Mr. Braun?
1: Yeah. I like, um, yeah, I have, have, have all the bars on all the bars. Yeah. Yeah. So status bar, path bar, you go to the view menu to, to see all these, but yeah, I typically display all that stuff. Yeah. I, I need the
0: information. I like the information. I like to be able to see the status without the status bar. You don't know how much free space you have on any mm-hmm. given drive. Right. That's, I mean, to me, that's crazy. Um, Robert, brings up I, I i called it a quick tip i don't know what it should be um but he um he, he was talking about we had actually talked about robert's question of in a previous show where he was splitting his fusion drive but um but he it which he's doing and he has a rotational drive to 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 do with as he wishes and so he points out he says that the hard drive i have no longer formatted as APFS. He says, I set it up as an HFS plus drive since it's just being used for media storage and my parallels VMs and performance is very discernibly better as an HFS plus drive than an APFS drive. He says, I was remembering how Mike Bombick mentioned that rotational drives do not perform as well uh, as SSDs when it comes to, APFS he says now I well goes on he's happy with the way he has split his drives up but uh, but yeah that's that's a key to remember is performance wise APFS does not do well on rotational drives so there are some occasions where you must use APFS on an external drive if you're say cloning to an external drive and you're running Catalina it must be running APFS otherwise it won't clone to it but I would actually advise not to do that. I would clone Catalina to an SSD for this very reason because when you have to boot from that clone, it will be terribly sluggish if it's coming from a rotational uh, simply because of APFS. did would have you have you dug into any of this? Was your clone, in fact, that we talked about a couple of minutes ago, uh, John, an APFS drive or a it must have been, or was it a rotational drive, I guess? Or was it an SSD?
1: No, it's uh, uh, both my clones are two SSDs. Smart man. So. Cool. Cool.
0: What SSDs are you running externally?
1: Now my curiosity uh, There was a comes special up. on uh, ah. SanDisk. Yeah. Uh, 3D something, one terabyte.
0: Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, we will attempt to put that in the show notes. Ultra 3D, 3D NAND. Is that it?
1: Uh that that sounds right.
0: Sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Uh, I I have uh, I will I will jump gears here, John, just because we're talking about SSDs, and I will I will throw in a cool stuff found, which is the new Orico portable NVMe SSD. It's a USB C drive, but it it's got a It's got a port on it, which is good. So you can plug a USB-C cable in, which means uh, it does come with two cables. It's the, there's, um, uh, you know, a USB-C to USB-C and a USB-C to USB-A cable. Uh, It's tiny, man. Like it's, you know, fits very easily in your pocket. I've got the 512 version, uh, which is I think 150 bucks and a one terabyte is like 240 bucks. Uh, It does support 10 gig USB if your uh, host device, whatever that may be, uh, supports it, which means that it will do, uh, I was, I got it to, on my MacBook Air, I got it to do like 860 megabyte per second writes and 940 megabyte per second reads, which is pretty good, I think, you know, for a tiny little bus powered, you know, pocketable drive. So that's the Oracle portable NVMe USB CSSD. There was one weird part about it, John. It came formatted. I, you know, the first thing I do is I plug the drive in and I run black magic disc speed test to check it out. Right. Cause we're geeks. And i like, I want to know how fast it is so I can tell all of you, but also so I can tell me and Blackmagic would not run because it said this drive is mounted read only. And it was because it was formatted as NTFS from the factory. So I had to go into disc utility and and formatted Mm -hmm. as, as APFS and then, and then it was obviously fine. So, yep. But so I I always NTFS, that's a weird one to choose for a portable drive. It seems to me, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's, that's just my thoughts on it. Any other thoughts on that, Mr. Braun? Nope. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's the right drive.
0: That's the one, the the SanDisk. Okay. Yeah. Cool. 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 Yeah.
1: Figured, um, you know, if I got one terabyte drive, in the uh machine then the clone drive should also be one terabyte ah, i like that and it is
0: yeah so that's usb 5 gigabits right
1: uh, a set three so
0: yeah but it's a i mean it'll do that it it, it hits that 560 megabyte per second speed right which is mm-hmm. i think usb 5 not usb 10 which is fine i you know i um I, I have, you know, I've been testing a bunch of these Thunderbolt drives and these USB drives and, and I am keeping notes. And when we're finished with that, I will kind of give you folks my rundown. Um, I have gotten to the point, John, where I'm not convinced I would immediately recommend everyone with a Thunderbolt three Mac to use a Thunderbolt 3 SSD as their, you know, sort of go-to drive. And it's not, not because of the speed, because speed is awesome on these. It's because of the number of Thunderbolt ports. It Like, if you, the, the, the deal is, at the moment, and some manufacturers are working to address this, but at the moment, if you have a drive, like, you know, most of the Thunderbolt 3 SSDs that we have, that only has one Thunderbolt port on it, like it's not built to daisy chain that ends your Thunderbolt three chain. There is no way to split Thunderbolt, right? Um, Even if you have a Thunderbolt dock, it's going to have two Thunderbolt ports on it, one to go up to the host to the computer and one to go downstream to something else. But wherever you plug a Thunderbolt three drive into the chain, it does end the chain. And and that, you know, could be a limitation, for example, on the current iMac only has two Thunderbolt ports on it. So you could at most have two Thunderbolt drives, no matter how many docks you've got connected. You know, the drive is the thing that ends the chain, whereas USB-C, you can split that out six ways from Sunday uh, if you're careful and creative with how you do things. And it doesn't end the chain. And yes, Thunderbolt, like, you know, I've got, um, I was testing this week and you know, my, I can do what Thunderbolt drives. They generally, you know, they, they max out of like 2,500 or something like that. So 2,500 megabytes a second on the, on the faster ones that we're testing, which is awesome. But if you don't need that kind of speed, maxing out at like you know a thousand megabytes a second on a USB C, 10 gig, or a 10 gig USB drive uh, is buys you that flexibility of whatever Thunderbolt device you need to connect. So just bear, bear that in mind, folks. It's, it's you know it's it's kind of factored into my thinking, John. So um, I don't know. It's just one of those things. While we're on the subject of Thunderbolt, John, I feel like I am the man that made fire in a world where everybody else already knew how to make fire. Uh, but I didn't even know it was possible. And what I'm talking about is Thunderbolt three and you know, I I recently swapped these two computers. For those of you that 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 keep a mental picture in your mind of um, all my computers, like that's fine. It's, uh, but I realized not everybody does. So I I swapped, which meant I moved the Thunderbolt three capable iMac from the office up to the studio studio, and the Thunderbolt two iMac from the studio down to the office. And I was missing out on being able to use Thunderbolt three stuff down in the office. And this is perhaps why uh, my. Uh, powers of observation were more finely tuned when I again reread the description on Apple's website of their Thunderbolt three to Thunderbolt two adapter because it includes the word "John" bidirectional. Thunderbolt is not limited by the device that you're by the host device. So I have now a Thunderbolt two Mac connected to Thunderbolt three drives and hubs and or docks, I should say. And yes, the Mac and therefore all the devices are limited to 20 gigs a second, not 40. Okay. Fair. Right. That makes sense. That's how life works. Uh, But other than that, so other than that, there are some limitations, but, but in general, that's it. So Apple's adapter has a female Thunderbolt two or a female Mini DVI port, which are mini, uh, is that DVI, whatever, whatever it is that the Thunderbolt two port uses. So it's got a female Thunderbolt two port and a male USB-C Thunderbolt three port. But it is only Thunderbolt that can be plugged into either end of this adapter. So you cannot plug this into, say, something USB USB and have it work. No, it is Thunderbolt only. And there is no power passed across it, at least not in, well, I guess not, not at all. Be, only, well, maybe it would pass power. It couldn't though, because Thunderbolt 2 doesn't pass power. Only USB-C passes power, right? So so I couldn't plug it directly into a Thunderbolt uh, drive because it wouldn't. there's no power to spin it up. But once I plugged it into a dock, then I can plug a Thunderbolt drive into it. Which is, I thought was really cool. Like, I had no idea that this would work in either direction. I thought it was only for the newer Macs to attach your old Thunderbolt 2 devices to them. So this, you know, if we rewind a couple of weeks when we were trying to help a listener who needed a Thunderbolt 2 dock and could not find them because there's not many available. Well, you don't need one. You buy this adapter from Apple and you're good to go. Pretty good, huh, John? Yeah?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I got that adapter. Came in handy when I was migrating from the... Old Thunderbolt 2 Mac to the newer Thunderbolt 3 Mac.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's bi directional. So you can use that with your old Mac to connect to your new Thunderbolt 3 devices, which is interesting. Like, I, I you know, it kind of blew me away. I, I didn't, um, I don't know. It just, it never dawned on me. Now, not every Thunderbolt 3 to Thunderbolt 2 adapter is bi directional. Apples is. But like there's I think the ones from like Cable Matters and uh there's another company that that markets a similar product. Apples is the only one that I can find on the market right now that's bi-directional. Everybody else is single direction. Uh the host must be a Thunderbolt 3 machine. So everybody else's works the way that I presumed they would work. And uh yeah, so there you go. So anyway, I, I was pretty excited by all this you know i thought it was pretty good I, I, did you know that it was bidirectional John? is this a mm, never really thought about it never really thought yeah okay all right yeah yeah so there you go um okay uh let's see i think we had a couple more uh quick tips so we might as well wrap those up i know it's uh, i know i'm i'm dragging us all over the place today john I guess that's okay. That's kind of how we roll here sometimes. Um, Mark Edwards, who not only coincidentally is uh, with uh, Bajango, the company that makes iStat menus and also Snowflake SnowflakeWeather.app, uh, tweeted something this week that I immediately put on our uh, quick tip list. And he tweeted, long hover <clears throat> is a pretty strange interaction to trigger an action. He was He was talking about the UX of it, and he is a UX guy. But... The whole concept of long hover in Mac OS is a weird one, but it can be really handy. For example, if you long hover over the green dot in the top of a menu or in the top of a window, sorry, you get several options. If you, it, you have enter full screen, tile the window to the left, tile the window to the right, and if it's. On a machine that has two monitors, it will actually offer to move the window to the other monitor for you uh, but you know that's just one of those weird things and by long hover, I mean what it sounds like you you put your mouse over it and then stop moving the mouse and then magically, after a you know brief pause, up comes this window. Strange, but, but it's weird, but there you go. I don't know. Do you ever use long hover, John?
1: Oh yeah. All the time. Okay. Oh, there you go. They call it tool tips also. Right. Well,
0: long hover will give us tool tips. Yeah. Long hover. Right. It has always been the thing to bring up tool tips. It, it I think, and I think that was Mark's point was that it's weird to have actions, uh, mm-hmm. triggered in, you know, in a long hover result, uh, mm-hmm. from a, from a user interface standpoint. And I, I'm kind of with him. It's just like, I want to do a thing, but I have to pause before I get the option to do the thing. And then I keep moving my mouse and clicking. Like that, I think that was his point is like, once you stop moving the mouse, that should be the end. You know, you shouldn't have to wait to get a, a menu up. But anyway, uh, I found another thing, John. Last one, I promise, uh, on the quick tips. When dark mode joined us on the Mac, we lost the ability to have a light screen Mac, you know, light windows with white backgrounds and all of that stuff and a dark menu bar and a dark dock. And I always liked the dark menu bar because it kind of made that part of the screen sort of, you know, fade away a little bit for me. And, um, and so anyway, the folks at OS 10 daily or OSXDaily.com, if you want to spell it out have an article that explains how to turn this back on and back off. It's a very, it's a weird thing. You, you, you do a a single command from the terminal, but then you have to log out and log back in and, and stay in light mode. And so it's not a, it's, I mean, it's, it's not that big of a deal, but it does require some, you know, finagling to get yourself into this mode and then out of it. But it does work. And if you're, if you're switching back and forth between light and dark mode, I don't think this is what you would want to do um, because essentially what you're doing is you're making it so that dark mode only affects the dock and the menu bar. Uh, so it will not affect your windows. So if you're in the scenario where you need to, to have your windows go to dark mode or want to, then don't do this. But if you are a light mode only person on that particular Mac, then you can do this and, and there you go. Uh, oh, again, link in the show notes and we've got the, the terminal command there too, but it's, it's worth reading the article just to make sure you get it, you know, all right. So I don't know. That's what I got today, John. What do you got? Anything?
1: Hmm. I've actually enabled dark mode on a couple of my devices. Uh, okay. Just to see if it improves battery life. Sure. Is, um is it supposed to Yeah, I think to? my phone was yelling at, Well, my phone was yelling at me at one point and uh, you know, about power consumption because your screen's really bright and I think it actually suggested, "Hey, you want to you want to enable dark mode maybe?" Interesting, maybe I just decided I should have. But I thought I thought the OS actually d- told me, "Hey, you know, turn on dark mode and that that'll help your battery life."
0: I thought, "Okay, so you have an iPhone 8 Mm-hmm. Which has an LCD, not an OLED screen, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't. As as I know. Yeah, I thought OLED was the only screen type where you know a black pixel was actually an off pixel and therefore would save some measurable level of power by not having to turn the pixel on. I thought with LED screens mm-hmm. uh, or LCD screens, sorry, that even when it's black, the the, the panel the entirety of the panel is on no matter what. And so I didn't Mm. think having dark versus light on the pan. I could totally be wrong about this, but that was, that was my understanding was one of the benefits of OLED was if it's black, first of all, you get true black because they can just turn the pixel Mm. off. And then that did result in, in power. I don't know if it, but I, I could be totally wrong. um, You know, wouldn't be the first time that I had some misconceived notions. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you finding that it's helping your power consumption?
1: Uh, I'll, I'll have to time it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Um, you know what I want to do, John is I want to talk about our, uh, our sponsors today. If that works for you. Cool. Cool. All right, our first sponsor for today is a new sponsor, but not new to the Mac Geekab family, and it is Snowflake, which is a weather app designed by people we already know because it's from Bajango, and I hope I'm pronouncing their name right. I've known their company for years because they're the ones that make iStat menus and have been making Mac and iOS apps for over 15 years. So Snowflake is kind of like the iStat menus of weather apps. They show a ton of information, as much as is possible, and you can tweak it, obviously, but it's all in a really well-organized and nicely designed package. The, The weather data in this, I found Snowflake right after it came out, and it was when I was in the market looking for a new weather app. And I love what they are doing with snowflake because it just delivers the data that I want. I like something that's going to show me everything I need to know right on one screen, including the amount of either rainfall or snowfall on a given day. And so the way this is laid out, it's so simple. You've got the narrative forecast if you want it, because I like that. I like to read what the forecast, like the synopsis is of any given day. Uh, It is for the iPhone and iPad. This is Snowflake. There's an Apple Watch app. There are Apple Watch complications. There's a Today widget for it. There are Siri shortcuts. They have four different weather providers. You can either let it choose or you can choose for yourself. Four themes and automatic day-night theme switching. You've got to go check this out. Go to SnowflakeWeather.app or just look for Snowflake in the App Store. You're going to love this. It's so well-designed. No great surprise from the people that bring us iStat menus. Thank you to Bajango and Snowflake for sponsoring this episode. Our next sponsor is Devon Think from Devon Technologies at slash MGG. We've been talking on the show for months about a way to organize it, started with PDFs, but really it's documents. How do you organize all the stuff? Well, DevonThink is the the answer. Like truly, DevonThink was the answer that you folks gave us. And now here they are as a sponsor. Because DevonThink is the most professional document and information management app that exists for the Mac. It helps you collect, file, organize, edit, and annotate all kinds of documents. For example, you could archive all your email with the enhanced email archiver that's built into DevonThink and and you can scan your paper documents with the revised scanner interface that's in DevonThink. And if needed, you can imprint your PDFs with custom stamps and such before giving them to others. And then once you've sort of ingested all this stuff, you can organize all your documents in any way that you want. DevonThink has smart groups that let you quickly group data based on searches and the integrated AI right inside DevonThink assists you with all your filing and searching. And it will come as no great surprise that you can also automate your workflow. You can create smart rules and reminders, even if you're not a programmer. DevonThink is happy to take over your most boring tasks. And of course, you can sync your data securely between your devices using Either your preferred web storage or even just directly on your local network so it's not ever leaving. Take your data with you with DevonThink's iOS companion app, and now there's really something going on. You want to know what else is going on? A 10% discount on DevonThink 3 or upgrades just because you're a listener of Mac Geek App. Go to DevonTechnologies.com slash M-G-G. That's D-E-V-O-N Technologies.com slash M-G-G. You're going to love this. Go check it out. Devin think our thanks to Devin technologies and DevonThink for sponsoring this episode. All right. Look, you know, I got my first cell phone with, uh, one of the big wireless providers. Gosh, it was, well, my daughter hadn't been born yet. So this was 20 something years ago. And you know, I've hated that monthly bill ever since. But when we discovered that there's another option that could give us the premium service that we're used to at a fraction of the cost, learning that we could cut our wireless bills down to just 15 bucks a month and save hundreds of dollars. Yeah, we were interested. And that's where our next sponsor Mint Mobile comes in, because for any of you out there who are looking to save without sacrificing service, Switching to Mint Mobile is a no-brainer. So if you just hate that wireless bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month. The way they do this is they're online only. So they've eliminated the traditional costs of retail and all of that, and they pass that savings along to you. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text, plus crazy fast 4G LTE Use your own phone with Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts and everything. And Mint Mobile's got you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, you're out. It's fine. Switch to Mint Mobile, premium wireless, 15 bucks a month to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free. Go to mintmobile.com slash MGG. That's mintmobile.com slash Again, cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, let's, do you have any cool stuff found or anything to to add to the mix today before we get into some questions here? John, I think you're muted, John.
1: Yes, I was. All right. Uh, No, no, nothing today. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Remember to unmute.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, that's okay. It's, uh, I, it, it, you are in good company for, uh, folks like all of us who have forgotten to unmute at times. That's good. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's go to Irving here and we will, uh, We will see what Irving asks. He says, I just purchased a Pioneer BDR-X-D05B Blu-ray player. It works well, nearly excellently, when playing DVD video movies. Using EaseFab DVD Ripper for Mac on macOS Catalina, it is equally easy to rip the video and upload to my Synology for playing with Plex. However... When a Blu-ray disc is loaded into that, the disc spins, it mounts, and everything sounds like the process when a DVD is loaded. However, the Blu-ray will not play. The Pioneer user's manual and website for this say they recommend using CyberLink PowerDVD14. However... That's only available for Windows. So my questions are, what Blu-ray video player software do you use on your Mac OS Catalina uh, on Macs? And what ripping software do you use for Blu-ray discs on Mac OS Catalina? John, do you ever play Blu-rays on your Mac?
1: Um, not the disc itself. Okay, um. So
0: so let's answer that question first, and then we'll talk about the ripping thing. Because... It, that's a weird thing playing a Blu-ray on the Mac. It's it's not directly supported, as Irving has found out. Um, there is a way, and we will put a link in the show notes to make VLC able to play Blu-rays on the Mac. It involves installing a sec a separate um, package, I guess it would be the I don't know some some little app, some little extension, if you will, that VLC can can leverage and then go ahead and and do that. So. To me, that's the best way I know of to um to play Blu-rays on the Mac. Uh, unless you rip them first and then of course you can play the file anywhere that can play the file. So
1: how do you go about ripping Blu-rays on the Mac, John? Um I've done it before, but the last time I tried, it didn't work. So I think something got unmapped. But I'll use handbrake and then um is it make MKV?
0: Okay, yeah, that would make sense. Make make yeah, MKV. Yeah, you actually.
1: Yeah, the last time I tried to run it, it complained about not being able to load some uh some library. So I think I have to remap the. Uh, so so that's kind of the trick. And, okay, uh, actually, Dave, you had written. I actually referred to the article that you had written that ages I wrote that ago, I wrote shows that article you how to set up the hard links.
0: Yeah, to, uh, I wrote it what in twenty fourteen. Uh, mm-hmm literally almost exactly six years ago, it was May 15th, 2014. Um, I wrote an article about how to make, make MKV VLC and handbrake work with Blu-rays and it all still like, it's the path I use. It seems to be the, still seems to be the best path, but you're right. You have to, you have to make some, you got to load. What is it? Lib, uh, mbd or something like that. And then link it together with, uh, from, I think from VLC to make MKV, it's a, yeah, it's a Mm -hmm. whole thing, but, um, but I will put, yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes to that. And I'll also put a link in the show notes to lib Blu-ray, uh, which is talked about on the VLC website about which will will allow you to play, uh, VLC, uh, Blu-rays inside VLC. I think it's blue. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, John, but I think it's Blu-rays that, have an encryption are encrypted, right? But the encryption key is the same for every single disc. But that encryption key is copyrighted. So like, there's a weird, I don't know. I, like, I think I'm not getting it all exactly right, but it's, it's, I think it's that encryption key is the thing that is protected with the, the DMCA or something. So, not the and so people have you know snarky folks like 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 us uh have printed t-shirts that have that encryption key on it and they're like yeah come get me you know um which is great so but i i and i think i've got that mostly right so um so i don't know i don't know that's it makes it fun but you do um you do this path still works it's been it's been a while since i've ripped a blu-ray i don't know why that is but um glad to hear that that this still works
1: yeah and then i got an external uh blu-ray burner yeah that's what
0: you need well is your is it a blu-ray burner or is it a blu-ray reader oh yeah it's a, it's a burner it so it'll burn blu-rays too okay
1: yeah yeah, yeah. yes yep okay yeah or, you know if you have the higher density uh you know double-sided all that stuff
0: yeah yeah exactly exactly um, I'm trying to look, I, I used to have a link for the Blu-ray player that I always used. I don't know why I'm doing this over on this screen. Um, yeah, it still exists. The one that I have, costs 65 bucks today on Amazon. I don't know if that's, um, still the the way, but, um, uh, if you find a cheaper one, John, on Amazon when you're going through the show notes, or if anybody does, well, thanks to everybody in the chat room, of course, at uh for helping us with the show notes
1: and and all of that. But um, yeah, no link to the one that I have. If you if you want a burner and a reader, yeah, yeah, that's sort of the key. Is
0: is that I don't know that mine will burn Blu-rays. Oh yeah, it will. Ah, uh, maybe. I think, no, it can burn CDs and DVDs and I think it only reads Blu-rays. I'm pretty sure the one that I have for 65 bucks, it's never, I've never needed to burn a Blu-ray. So I guess I've never, I've never run up against that, but be aware of that. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Good. Okay. Moving on. Let's see what we get. I like these fun little topics. Uh, this is why we do the show. Walter has a question from a friend. Uh, he says who needed to upgrade his very old Mac. He's a musician and a father of two. And like many of us, full-time musicians, COVID thanks to COVID-19. He says, uh, my friend is now also unemployed. So every dollar counts. Absolutely, man. Uh, he opted for the cheapest Mac mini. He could find one from the refurb store, And only had 128 gig SSD. He was a little stressed about how to pull this off. I think it'll be fine, but I wanted to ask you guys. He'll be getting a one or two terabyte drive, hopefully an SSD, to hang off of it for his day-to-day data. He'll be using Adobe Creative Suite as well as Logic and other audio apps outside of obviously storing most of his files on the external drive. He was also gonna recommend, I was also gonna recommend um, he make aliases for his documents, downloads, photos, music, and movies folders. While I have used aliases, my spidey senses are tingling about using them in this way with official OS X or Mac OS folders. Is that how you would approach this in this situation? So um, first of all, I hope all working musicians can find ways to get back to work soon uh, for lots and lots of reasons, financially being chief among them, but certainly not the only one Um, because we need art. It's good. Um, I don't know that I would do this with aliases. They, They don't always work the way we want them to, and they can get a little weird. It might, I know this is going to sound crazy and John, please, you know, share your thoughts, disagree, shape your fish at me. Um, It might be better uh, to just relocate the home folder to the, the other drive or barring that just boot from the external drive. If it's an SSD and it's fast enough, maybe just make that your boot drive. Uh, but moving the home folder, strange as it may sound, is Apple's sort of prescribed way, even though they don't go out of their way to show you how. But and I'll put a, a link in the show notes to a LifeWire uh, article that really steps through this and, and uses all of Apple's official stuff in system preferences, users and groups to remap it all. And it's like it's all there. So Apple does ish support this, even though they don't tell you to do this. Um but it's, it, yeah, so, but I don't know, I I might be tempted, depending on how big that external drive is, and if it's an SSD, I would be very tempted to just make that the boot drive of the Mac, and then you're not dealing with the headaches of, you know, home folder split from the boot drive. Though, once you get it there, as long as the external drive doesn't go away, I think you're going to be all right. That would be, I don't know, that's, I'm, I'm torn on this one, John, what do you think?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> I I think that's that's the way I would go to is just put it all on an external drive and yeah forget about that uh, internal one. So you want to be sure that you get a an enclosure, uh, you know, the right cable and the right enclosure mm-hmm. um, to offer you the the speed that you deserve. So yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Brian Monroe in the in the chat room there also suggests uh what about using iCloud drives optimized storage that might work as well it depends on yeah i I agree with you brian that that's yet another way to go with this it depends on how um how much stuff he needs like how many applications and what that's going to look like Um, you know the logic likes to pull down a couple of gigs of stuff uh to go along with it so uh, you know that might or might not work but yes that that's yet another option absolutely worth considering i think yeah it's good yeah you know and he could use that internal drive as like his scratch disk too 128 gigs is if you're recording audio tracks that could be enough for your you know current project um and if that works out to be faster than your boot drive even you know by a little bit well use it as your scratch disk and then when you when you're done with that project kind of archive it off to somewhere else that that's that's a relatively normal thing for for using logic and things like that where you want to have like a super screaming fast drive for the the active stuff when you're mixing and doing all sorts of things in a live setting and you've got you know 20 tracks going or whatever but then once once you're done with the project you can archive it off into cold storage so no yeah it's not an optimal scenario but that's that's okay That's you know, that's, that's sort of what we deal with here is making those non-optimal scenarios work as well as we possibly can. That's, Mm -hmm. uh, that's what we do. I don't know. All right. Uh, well, we, we talked about Thunderbolt earlier in the show and Josh now has a question about, uh, about using about Thunderbolt and displays. He says, I have an older Thunderbolt 2 iMac that I think meets the requirements to be used as an external display. Now that it looks like I'll be working from home more often, I was thinking of connecting my 2018 MacBook Pro to it as a display, okay? He says, so I have a couple questions. One, do you think it's worth it since I'll be daisy-chaining through a couple of Thunderbolt 3 cables, an OWC dock, and then the Apple Thunderbolt 3 to 2 adapter? Uh, unless you can think of a simpler way. No, I don't think I can. Uh, He says, number two, I believe the graphics card in this iMac may well be failing. Uh, Not all the time, but once in a while, both on wake from sleep and on startup, I'm seeing some colorful pixelated snow. Would this be an issue? Uh, I'm not sure how much of the iMac hardware, how much the iMac hardware is doing in what in this situation. So I, I think... In terms of uh, the the daisy chain path, no, I think you're doing the right thing. Um, going out, Thunderbolt. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know there's a, that there's another way, unless, and this would be worth trying, they do make DVI, uh, sorry, I keep saying DVI, I said it earlier, and thankfully the folks in the chat room corrected me, DisplayPort. So Thunderbolt 2 runs over mini DisplayPort, which means that iMac has, a mini DisplayPort port port on it, probably has two of them, uh, that you would be plugging into for this. Well, they do make DisplayPort, the larger one, to mini DisplayPort cables. And oftentimes we've used them in reverse. We plug the mini DisplayPort into the Thunderbolt port on our Mac and then the DisplayPort side into the external monitor because most external monitors don't have mini DisplayPort. But what if we turn that cable around? If your Thunderbolt dock has... Display port on it, and your Mac has mini display port. That might be a way to get there. And now you're not burning up one of your Thunderbolt ports on your dock and you're just going display port to mini display port. And that's presuming that the iMac is treating this as a when you put it into, uh, you know, external display mode. That's presuming that the iMac treats those ports as. Mini DisplayPort ports, and not some requiring some sort of Thunderbolt magic to negotiate it. It'd be worth trying, I think, because it might simplify that and free up your your Thunderbolt world, uh, as we were talking about earlier. And so that that presumption is going to fuel my answer, at least, to the next question. The next question, which was, I don't think the graphics card in this matters. I think the graphics card in in this case, the 2018 MacBook Pro, would be the thing driving it. What do you think about Do you know anything about target display mode or anything like that, John? Um, no, not really. Okay. Yeah. I, I've always wished I had like an old Mac that, that would, um, that would do that, but I don't think I do. It's, um, yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking at Apple's article here. Yeah. It really, they talk about mini display port ports. Um, Oh, yeah. It says if you have a 27 inch iMac with a mini display port, any other Mac with a mini display port or Thunderbolt port can use it as a display. So, yeah, that would maybe I do have an old Mac that would wear this, that would let me do this. Let's see. Only target display mode isn't supported on iMac models with retina display. Okay. Only the 2009, late 2009 27 inch, the mid 2010 27 inch. And the mid 2011 to mid 2014 27 inch support target display mode. So I actually do have a machine that mm. would support this. That's interesting. Okay, um, but it's it's non Retina. Okay, and it seems like from Apple's article, it just requires it treats that like a Mini DisplayPort port. So uh, you press Command F2 on the keyboard of the um, of the iMac, and then it turns it. I think that's the key, right? You, yeah, you command F2 on the keyboard of the external iMac and then boom, that does it. So, mm, I don't know. Yeah, I think you're going to be all right, man. I think that's going to work out. So, thanks for the question, Josh.
1: Fun stuff. Yeah. So, if I had uh, one of those iMacs, I could do that too because right now my second screen, I'm looking here, is connected to my OWC dock right by a, a mini display port to hdmi adapter
0: yeah okay yeah 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 so okay now i i want to dig in on this cuz i've been as i mentioned messing around with thunderbolt and things like that what refresh rate is your external display using and you should even though we as we sussed out recently the, sometimes the um system information displays doesn't really list what the actual resolution of the display is like the refresh rate in there. I confirmed earlier this morning, cause I, I spent like an hour messing with this um, mm-hmm. does, does accurately represent it. So is it at 60 Hertz or is it at 30 yes. Hertz?
1: Oh, it is. Yeah. They're both at 60.
0: Oh, right. Cause you've got, you're running them off of Mac mini. So the one that's going, so explain to me how you have yours configured.
1: Um, my monoprice screen is plugged into the Mac mini by okay. HDMI. And then, right. Cause the Mac mini
0: has its own HDMI port. Yes. And the Mac mini's HDMI port clearly supports 60 mm-hmm. Hertz. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that good. Mm-hmm. That's no, I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. That's good to know. Um, and then how are you getting, the, the other one is going through, going through what?
1: Is going through, so the uh, Thunderbolt 3 dock, the OWC Thunderbolt 3 dock has yep. a mini display port port on there. So I have a mini display port to HDMI adapter that I use to connect my second screen and that's also running at 60 hertz.
0: Interesting. Or so,
1: so Apple, cl- so, so the utility here claims.
0: Okay. All right. This is okay. This is great. So I was messing with this with um an OWC Thunderbolt 2 dock, and then also with the Caldigit uh TS3 Plus, which is their Thunderbolt 3 dock. And that's kind of the the Frankensteinian way I've got things set up in the office, at least at this very moment, mm-hmm. that it changes all the time. I noticed, and I, I have yet to decipher whether this is related to my Thunderbolt three to two conversion. Or or not, but what I noticed was when I was running the display off of the DisplayPort port on the CalDigit Thunderbolt 3 dock, the Thunderbolt hard drive that I also had connected to that dock ran at much slower speeds. And once I unplugged DisplayPort from it, then the the drive ran faster and I'm trying to suss out why that is um and and I haven't quite gotten there yet like I said it, you know th- there's a lot going on in terms of translation and and things so I I need to move things around and and really test but it was definitely as soon as I plugged in or unplugged the the mini display or the display port jack its display port on on the CalDigit dock uh that did it like, it instantly, the drive was either slower or faster, depending on whether the, hmm. the cable was plugged in. Yeah. And I didn't think DisplayPort was supposed to chew up Thunderbolt bandwidth. But maybe the translation from 3 to 2 causes it. Maybe. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, but the OWC Thunderbolt 2 dock has an HDMI port, but only supports 30 hertz refresh rate, not 60 hertz. I guess they bumped that up for a Thunderbolt three dock, So now it's like, I got to figure out which to do where and how to hold my mouth just right to get it all to work. So I don't know. It's, it's fun, but you know, it's it's maddening and, and fun at the same time. And that's what, that's what makes us geeks. Right. So, um, do you have, what's the fastest drive that you have connected to that Thunderbolt three dock? Do you have a Thunderbolt three drive? If not, maybe we need Uh, to send you one. No. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay.
1: Well, kind of. Yeah, I tested this one time. Um, if I put my MacBook Pro into Target Disk mode, right. then it, uh, then it appears as a Thunderbolt three drive. That's totally right. Nice. Yeah. How? Do you remember how? Yeah, fast? I remember. I checked that. I, I checked that, and yeah. and... So once I had that set up, I then went on the Mac mini into the system info and lo and behold, there was something in the Thunderbolt section. Sure. Huh. And
0: do you remember how fast that went when did you black magic speed? It was
1: 20. It was at 20, which was kind of weird.
0: Oh, it is weird. Well, it could have
1: been limited by the cable that I had. I had a relatively short, you know, when it.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. But did you test the the speeds like with black magic to see how fast it would go across the Thunderbolt uh, bus? No. Okay. All right. Well, I'd be curious if like, if you tested that, how it would do with mm-hmm. and without a, a display connected, because now yep. I'm, I, you know, we want to be able to give you folks the right advice. So this is, mm-hmm. this is how the sausage is made sometimes. All right. Interesting. 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 Okay, uh, where are we on time? Oh, we still we still have plenty of time. Oh my goodness! You know, I was telling somebody the other day, John, that when we started this show, uh, and we have not changed this this part of our 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 criteria for the show, that Mac Geekab is a forty five minute show. Now that's we're all laughing now, of course, because it's stretched and it's generally at about a ninety minute show. Uh, but uh, anyway, we're at, we're at an hour here, so we've got we've got time. <laughs> Uh, let's do a couple of cool stuffs found. I like peppering the questions in before the cool stuff found like this, the, the, the question sandwich between the quick tips and the, and the, uh, the cool stuff found. That's good. Anyway, uh, Peter has a cool stuff found. I believe it's a cool stuff found revisited for us, but, uh, but nonetheless, he says, I wanted to share a discovery I made in set app. I was doing a quick screen screen recording. a tutorial on some Gmail settings for students in my district and was not happy with the built-in screen recording options in QuickTime in macOS Catalina. I really didn't want to spring for screen flow or anything like that because budgets are tight around here, so I thought of checking SetApp for options. I discovered Capto, C-A-P-T-O. So far, one quick Gmail tutorial in, Capto seems great. It adds some nice extra controls and editing tools, in particular, I like that it gives an on screen countdown as the recording starts. My main annoyance with QuickTime and Catalina was an unspecified delay when I clicked record. Even though it has the even though the counter on my touch bar was going, I was still finding my first few words cut off. Super annoying. But this fixes it. And at no extra cost beyond my setup subscription for which I'm already paying. That's awesome, Peter. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Capto is is a good one for sure. Yeah. Have you ever used Capto, John? All right. Well, that's okay. Uh let's see. Let's go to oh yeah, Ben. Uh in last week's episode we were talking about um, looking into packages and uh Ben pointed out that there is uh he was looking on eclectic light howard oakley's site of course, uh about you know digging into packages and and where things are and he did note uh that Things were previously stored in ho- or slash library. So the root of your drive slash receipts, they're now stored in slash system slash library slash receipts. So maybe that's, that's helpful for that kind of digging. But he also points out that eclectic like rec- recommends mm, suspicious package uh, instead of pacifist uh, suspicious package is made by mother's ruin software <clears throat> and it will open installer packages and those BOM bill of materials files and tell you what's in there. So, uh, that's a good, cool stuff found right there for suspicious package. Thank you, Ben, for sharing that. Have you messed with that yet, John?
1: No, but I should, if I want to look at
0: these, that would be, uh, yeah, yeah. It seems like this is going to become a a tool in the geek toolkit. All right. Uh, let's see, let's go to, Oh, I, I have a couple of cool stuff's found, John. Uh, one of our favorite speaking of geek toolkit time machine editor uh, is now up to version 5.1 time machine editor is essentially a scheduler for time machine so you turn off time machines internal scheduler and then time machine editor will take over the scheduling and let you uh, do things in a slightly different way with a little more granularity Uh, it one of the nice parts is you can tell it look only back up when my machine is sort of chilled out and not doing things, which is nice. And 5.1 adds some additional flexibility in that regard. You can now, it's not there by default. The, the These new options are hidden, but you can enable them by going to the preferences for time machine editor and turning on show advanced settings. And the two new options are that you can have time machine set to not start When an application prevents display sleep, so if you're watching a video and the app has said, don't sleep the display, you can also make that a trigger for, and also please don't try to start doing a time machine backup, which is super helpful. And then the other one is when an application uh, prevents system sleep, you can also have that be a trigger to avoid starting a time machine backup, which I like, Uh, you know, I mean, and you can set each of those independently. So time machine editor is still, you know, still winning for us, which is great. I think so. Cool. Uh, Apple released logic 10.5 this week and man, like they, they put a lot of stuff in this. We talked about it on uh, daily observations, I believe on Thursday. So I, I'm not going to go through everything that we talked about there, but suffice to say, if you're a logic user, no question, go ahead and update. It is the 28th free update that Apple has made to logic in the last seven years. Uh, which is awesome, I think, and uh, and they've added live loops to it, which I didn't think were a thing for me because I'm a you know I'm a drummer, right? I'm a, I record live music. As soon as I started messing around with this, I realized, oh wait, 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 there's more to this here. Especially everything in Logic is tied in, so these new features don't exist on like little islands. They are new features that are fully integrated into Logic, which means that. You know, you can use live loops, but you can use them with the things that you have pulled in from the new sampler and the new sampler and especially the new auto sampler. Maybe they call it quick sampler um, can take like I can sit down at my drums over there and play a drum groove and then have that sampled and sequenced and then I can mess around with it and chop it up and put it into live loops. And now I've got my own stuff happening in there along with other stuff with effects and I can record and all of the normal logic effects that are, you know, able to be done and the routing and all that is all right there. So, um, so I was pretty stoked actually about the new logic. We are using the new logic right now, as you might expect to record well, to mix this show where I still recording with audio hijack. What's that?
1: And what does Logic do again? If you had to give me a headline for what it is, I, I sense it has something to do with audio. It Correct. Yeah, no, no, no. that's a good question. Logic is,
0: um, in, in audio parlance, it is a DAW, D-A-W, Digital Audio Workstation. Uh, it is what, and what that means is it's, generally speaking, a digital record, it, it's an audio studio uh, in an app, right? So you can record all your tracks, you can mix all your tracks. Uh, It's, it's a recording studio in an app is essentially what, what logic is, but it's not just limited to the app. You can link logic with all your external devices. And in fact, many of the world's most, you know, prestigious studios use logic. Um, there's logic, there's pro tools. Cubase is still used by some, uh, and there's some others of course out there, but, but, you know, logic and pro tools are, are sort of the, the ones that are used by the top studios in the world. Um, uh, if you're using if you're recording digitally even if you're not i know some people that are using logic to do sort of all their routing and then and then recording to tape still if you want um yeah no so logic is your is your recording studio it's like garageband um except you know garageband would be logic very light i would call it um so but i'm using logic at this very moment in a different way as i explained a couple episodes ago i'm using it as our mixer which is weird, but not really, you know, it clearly functions seems to anyway. So anyway, that's, uh, that's logic 10.5. Very cool. And related to that with outboard gear for logic, I added another piece of outboard gear. So yes, I got rid of lots of outboard gear, John, but, but I couldn't help myself. Uh, I wanted to add more channels so that I could have all eight of my drum microphones plugged in plus my podcast microphone plus other things and believe it or not, John, I'm using Toslink connectors like we've used on our TVs and stuff for years. Um, audio devices will let you connect, interchange a uh, link, multiple audio devices as one by using those Toslink connectors. They, they call them ADAT connectors because there was a device years ago called the ADAT, the Alesis digital audio transport device or something uh, that, that used those to, to connect. But uh, I, I, I got a, it's a Behringer ultra gain digital ADA eighty two hundred and it's just eight microphone preamps with, uh, an ADAT link on the back and, and, well, and, and eight outputs too, that I'm not yet using for anything, but, uh, but that way I can, I can link it all up. I, I have a, a Focusrite focus, right? Scarlet 18 I 20 that, uh, that I also have here. And, uh, and so the 18 I 20 is sort of driving the bus at the moment. That might change uh, down the road. We have some other stuff coming too, but uh, that's driving the bus. And then I'm using those Toslink connectors to link the two together. And it essentially adds eight more channels ins and outs to the, so uh, the thing, which is pretty cool. It's it, you know, just, it's cool to, to know that I'm doing uh, it with fiber optics, John In fact, my microphone is one of the things that's going across the fiber optic channel. So in theory, that shouldn't be a problem. Let's hope it stays that way. Fun gear. All right. Uh we have a not cool stuff found to share John. <laughs> You've started a trend, my friend, and I'm not sure it's a yeah, good one. Yeah, we
1: we don't want to have too many of those, but we'd like to warn you when uh, uh something not cool happens in the world. Totally. <laughs> and this is one of them. Thanks to from our friend Kenny. Do you want to you want to take it? Go ahead, man. No, you you
0: you, you have one, so. I'll- I do. I actually have several of them. Uh Kenny said, I just had an uncool stuff found episode similar to, similar to John's recent experience with Wink. He says, this is not Mac centric, but it is something we've talked about many times on the show. So as you pointed out, John, yeah, this is important. Um, he says, the company Automatic makes adapters that plug in under your dashboards into the OBD2 port on your cars. Mm-hmm. I have to make sure I get that right. I'm always reversing the B and the D. Maybe I did just then. Uh, these adapters give you driving mileage info useful for people logging business mileage, 1099 workers, et cetera. He says uh, they also give detailed information on uh, m- m- on interpreted idiot lights and stuff. So if you have, you know, an engine warning light, it'll tell you what it thinks that means. He says, I bought mine several years ago for both my cars and they worked great. They had iOS and iPadOS apps and information from the adapters could be read on most web browsers too. In short, he says they work great. Then came a fastball outside corner. So Kenny is a baseball fan here, and, and we're going to go with that uh, analogy here, or that metaphor. Uh, strike one, he says. In late 2019, Automatic crippled their iOS, iPadOS, and Android apps, effectively, rend- effectively rendering thousands of device- devices useless. Automatic told users they had no choice but to update to the newest hardware model, which came with six months of free service. Whoopee. Service had been free forever on the previous units, So now you had to buy a new adapter and start paying monthly fees. What a sweetheart deal. Then came a slow curveball five months later on the inside corner. Strike two. This month, they announced they couldn't stay afloat due to COVID-19 and were shutting down. As of May 28th, 2020, all devices would stop functioning. They apologized and asked all customers to dispose of their devices responsibly. I thought of several places I'd like to dispose of mine, Kenny says. But then came a change up right over the heart of the plate. Strike three, you're out. They They were asked, hey, can't you let your software go open source? Maybe someone else can keep the product alive and providing value for those who have spent good money on your devices. The answer, nope. Pretty low-rent behavior all around, says Kenny. He says, I'm not happy to see businesses suffer due to COVID-19, of course, or any other reason, not of their own making, but their customer-be-damned attitude sure would discourage me from doing business with these guys in any way in the future. They almost earned a fist shake, but they only deserved one finger. Thank you very much for that, Kenny. That's, uh, that's I like it. This is good. It's good. Uh you thoughts about that, Mr. Braun? No.
1: No, okay. that's unfortunate. Uh it is. Yeah. Something to keep in mind whenever someone's storing your stuff in the cloud. And yeah. It's not your cloud, but it's their cloud.
0: That's true. Yeah. Thank you. Uh thank you for the uh the very entertaining um uh, uh m- m- right up there, Kenny. I hope I did it justice uh by reading it. That was that was that was actually a fun little moment. <laughs> I didn't I I didn't I had read it and then queued it up for the show and forgot I, I I did not come into today's episode expecting to do a live theater read so there's my first one ever folks uh, you know you heard it first So many directors that have had me play drums have asked me if I want to break the uh, the backline meridian as I like to call it and and act on stage and thus far uh, I have been able to say no so I hopefully hopefully you haven't ruined that for me Kenny All right, uh, let's see. Where are we on time? Yeah, okay. Uh, let's, let's do, you, you, you got any preferences here, John? We've got a laundry list of things. I feel like we should do James, but, but, uh, if you feel differently, we've got, we've got time for at least two more, I think. So maybe we'll do James
1: and one other. Sound good? Yeah, maybe Scott, since I had to, uh. A little bit to, uh, all right you want to do let's do scott
0: let's do scott then we'll we'll wrap up with james because it's a nice little troubleshooting yeah. one so go ahead yeah bring us to scott my friend So
1: scott stumbled across something that i had looked into at one point and wasn't able to figure it out but you know this gave me a, a a boost sure um but anyway so scott says in an effort to fix a few minor nuisances and do some routine maintenance. I've been trying to boot my 2017 iMac running the latest Catalina update into safe mode. No matter what I do, it will not cooperate and continually boots into normal mode. I've turned off FileVault 2 and plugged my Apple wireless keyboard into the USB port on the Mac. Both of these steps were taken as a result of extensive searching to figure out the problem. Neither had the desired effect. And yes, I've tried holding down the shift key during every conceivable stage of the startup restart. Process any advice, and I got some advice, Dave. Um, Back in the midst of time, I recall that there was a way to enable certain modes um, via the terminal, uh, specifically uh, setting an NVRAM variable. Um, And I, I poked around a while ago trying to figure this out, and when I tried to run the command, it would say. Uh, permission denied or, or or something like that. I'm sure. Like, oh, well, I guess can't do that anymore. Then this prompted me to give another look, Dave, and I figured it out. There is a way to do this. Okay. But you got to take a step first. So the command that you issue um, from the terminal is sudo nvram boot dash args equals quote dash X quote. Now, in the past... We'll put that that in the show
0: notes for for folks, so you can just go copy-paste. Yeah, no problem. Yeah,
1: and in the past, you know, I tried to type that in, and it was like permission denied or unable to complete operation or something like that. Here's the secret. You got to first go in recovery and disable system integrity protection. If you do, then this will work. Got it. And the way you do that is you boot into recovery, you go to the terminal, and you type csrutil space disable. Right. Then it'll let you issue this command, and there's a few others. I'll, I'll I'll poke around for the article, but dash x for that boot argument um will boot you into safe mode. Okay,
0: ah, uh, okay, that's that's really good to know because there are times when you know because of the way the keys because of when the keyboard syncs up with the Mac, you miss mm-hmm. the opportunity to do that. I've I've certainly experienced that frustration. That's great.
1: Thank you, man. That's good. Yeah. And there's, there's a couple of others. Uh, so X is safe mode. I think V does verbose. I'll uh, Oh yeah. Again, I'll, I'll, there's an article that lists Great. Uh, some of the values here. Awesome. I don't think the man page does or maybe the man. No, the man page. I don't think does. Yeah. 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 So yeah. We'll find that for you, but. um, Cool. Yeah. So hof- hopefully that'll do it for you.
0: Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Great. All right. And, uh, and yeah, we'll wrap up here with, uh, with James. That's a good one, man. That's great. Uh, James says, uh, you recently talked about app tamer being a good utility to monitor a Mac's performance. So I tried, uh, I tried it to help me diagnose a performance problem I was having with my 2012 Mac mini with 16 gigs of memory and a one terabyte SSD accessing web pages had become onerous. I had tried numbers of things, but I could not find a solution. At the time, I had iStat menus running, but it had not helped me with the performance problem. I installed AppTamer, and very shortly, I was able to identify several processes that were taking a lot of CPU. After researching them, I found they were background tasks that were left over from some long-gone software before something like CleanMyMac came around. Uh, After removing them... Web performance became a little better, but then apps I regularly use started opening slowly and over a day or two became progressively worse. I had tried many things, including running the optimization option inside CleanMyMac, but still performance was suffering. Last year, I had a problem that was solved by downloading and running the combo updater, so I was thinking of trying that. I knew the last thing I wanted to have to do was a nuke and pave, which I know works, but I'm not a big fan. So i was getting ready to download the combo update when i remembered you guys talking about onyx i had used it a long time ago so i thought hey it couldn't hurt and i tried it and it did lo and behold after running it and rebooting my mini was running like its old self my browser was again opening sites fast and programs were launching without any problems so my suspicion is those removed background apps had boint some other settings which caused additional problems that Onyx was able to fix. So the combination of App Tamer and Onyx helped me solve the performance problems. Since I've learned a lot about those apps and lots of other things on Mac Geek Gab by listening weekly to repeated solutions and learning those five new things, you guys saved my bacon. So yeah, man, thank you for sharing this. That's um, I mean that's that's why we do what we do. And awesome, I like I love this email because it tied everything together and gives us all sort of a reminder of what we can do in the moment to uh to troubleshoot things. So um so anyway, that I thought that was uh I thought that was a good little good little thing to share. But yeah, App Tamer and Onyx, man, like they are
1: Yeah, I'm wondering what um Yeah, I'm wondering what part I, I think the the there's a cleaning tab in Onyx. I think that's Probably what
0: he did? Or maintenance, um, maybe. I think it's the maintenance maintenance. tab, right? Okay, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think you're right. Yeah, that would be where he went. And and I, as I always caution, I was talking to my son the other day who wanted to run Onyx on his computer or wanted to do something. And I'm like, well, let's run Onyx and see if it gets better. And he's like, Oh, okay, cool. I'll go get it. I'm like, right, but um like let's go through those options together. You need to and he went, he he's a he's fairly technically savvy, so it wasn't really a problem. But um, be mindful of each of the check boxes on that maintenance tab and make sure that you want them checked. I'm not convinced that I like Onyx's defaults. Um, I feel like they mm-hmm. will get rid of some things that I'm not sure I would get rid of. So I so just be mindful of that would be my only um, mm-hmm. you know, just look at each checkbox, don't just blindly hit go. Um, uh, and you'll be fine. Like you'll know if you don't want a certain cash, like I think there's, you know, you can have it wipe out your, your browsing history or something. It's like, well, if you want that now with the the bills that are being introduced, maybe you, we want that every day. Uh, but you know, uh, that make sure you want that before you just have it, wipe that stuff out. So that's mm-hmm. good. I, um, I was doing a live stream yesterday, John, you know, we're, we're doing lots of these and we did an album release party, um, for we've well we've we've done we're, we're doing a a stretched out album release party for this uh this band that i play in called bitter pill and we did the second of them yesterday and and they have both been now been plagued with with like live streaming errors last week was the same as what we experienced here on mac Geek Gab, where Mimo live the new version 5.6 was causing our audio and video to be out of sync on the on the video streams that you folks can see on facebook or youtube and they, it is that way for 814. Hopefully this episode is better. I think we're fine. Uh, we had a different problem yesterday and it was related to audio buffers and CPU usage in the end, but the symptom was audio was clicking and, you know, we had a limited period of time to get set up and and get the show rolling because we had like a, a hard start time. And so we started and I was reminded of something that we recently interviewed on my Uh, one of my other podcasts called gig gab, which is for musicians. We recently interviewed a guy named Brad Maddox, who um, was the front of house sound guy for uh, the band rush for years and years. And, uh, and also for bands like Queensryche and Jane's addiction. And uh, I think he was with John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown band in the early days, really like talented guy, smart guy knows what to do. And he said, one of his mentors, uh, gave him a piece of advice that I thought was really good yesterday in that moment, but really even like with what, uh, what James is talking about anytime we're troubleshooting and the advice was don't run towards a fire. If you know, there's a problem, be calm, breathe, you know, you're not going to do anybody any favors by freaking out. And, and, you know, you gotta, you gotta let yourself think to come up with the solution. Don't, panic is essentially, you know, what I think what that advice means. And it's good advice. So, I, I like that. Uh there you go. That's that's what I got. So, but James's thing sort of reminded me of that. So, that's good. We got anything else, John, or uh is it time? I think it's time.
1: Yeah? No, I think uh, don't panic is a great piece of advice uh, yeah. according to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I,
0: yeah, I agree. I agree. It's mm-hmm. good. All right. Well, it's time and to don't see forget if your towel
1: is the other piece of advice. Dave.
0: That is the other piece of advice. That's true. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all right. Well, uh, thank you for all of your questions and tips, all of that good th- stuff. Thank you for your reviews. Please go to Mac slash reviews. Leave us a review. We love getting your stuff in. We've got some reviews to read. We'll do, we'll do some of that next week. Um, and, and yeah, it's good, but thank you for everything. It's, it's great. Thank you to the, the technology gods and the audio gods for making this show work today because things have been weird. For a while. I've been messing with things, John. Like every week, the setup is, has some remarkable difference in it. So um, it's my own fault, but you know, I like it when it works. So It's good, right? It's good. All right. Uh, yeah. You got anything else to add before we, uh, before we really say goodbye here, John?
1: No, not really.
0: Okay. Well, folks, that's uh, that's it. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Of course, the, the three we mentioned in the show, snowflakeweather.app, devontechnologies.com slash mgg, mintmobile.com slash mgg. Of course, our ongoing sponsors, smilesoftware.com slash podcast, maxsales.com, which is where other word computing is, barebones.com. Eero.com slash MGG. lino.com slash MGG. Thanks to all of you. Thanks for sending in all your questions and your tips and your cool stuff found. We love it. I couldn't do it without you. Really, seriously. Couldn't. I couldn't do it without that guy either. It's, it's, we're, we're all in this together. Okay. S-
1: no, stuck no. with each other. Wait, wrong way.
0: <laughs> there you there. go. Yeah. Uh. Oh Geez, I mean, I gave the, the, you know, don't run towards a fire advice. We, we shared the, the don't panic and the tell thing. Is there any other advice to share, John?
1: Oh, well, absolutely. But yeah, I think the first two are, are important. Um, but the, the third one, Dave, yeah. which is, uh, I think, uh, equally important, if not more important, is don't get caught.
0: May